You're listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a resource to equip the church to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the More and Better Disciples podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. How's it going, Phil? Keith, hope you're having a great day, brother. I am. It is a beautiful day outside today. Uh, sunny in the 70s, ready for spring. How about no com- you? No, no complaints from me. Yeah, me neither. I am. Uh, I'm excited about some warmer, warmer weather. Although it's March, in, almost March in Arkansas, and so that means uh, you never know what you're going to get, as uh, my friend Forrest would say. That's right. It's like a box of chocolates. That's right, box of chocolates. Hey, well, it's been a great weekend here at Crossgate. A lot of exciting things going up, and and we are we are getting in full elevate mode uh, elevate men's weekend coming up this coming weekend followed by our elevate women's weekend man I'm so excited yeah so excited. El- yeah elevate is definitely one of the one of the best uh, what I would call better disciples opportunities of the entire year and uh, so many people walk away from both of those weekends saying you know I- I- I'm so glad I came my life has been changed and transformed so I'm excited to see what God does yeah, absolutely. And matter of fact, just a few minutes ago, we hit max capacity for our women's weekend. Nice. Um, they have 90 women signed up um, and several uh, asking to join a waiting list. So we're, we're just scrambling, trying to figure out how can we get some more beds or some more rooms. Uh, it's a good problem to have. So I'm um, just praying that God will move in an incredible, incredible way. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hey, let's jump right into the topic today. Of course, we're doing a series on essentials for growth. You know, what are some things that as Christians we uh, should uh, look to invest in if we want to grow? And today we're going to talk uh, talk about the topic, Discipleship Happens in Biblical Community. And this is actually going to be a two-part topic. We're going to break this up into two episodes because there's a lot we can talk about here. But biblical community, let's start off, Phil, by asking the question, what is biblical community? What do we mean by that? Yeah, biblical community is basically a community that's biblical. (laughs) Well, (laughs) very easy answer. So really, seriously, though, community is on a lot of people's hearts and minds these days. And I think especially coming out of the pandemic, people realize that they, they cannot live lives of isolation. God did not make us to be isolated. As much as the introverts of the world would love to think so, we all need other people in our lives. And so there's there's a lot of emphasis on community, and this is especially true among millennials and Gen Z. Uh, we hear a lot of talk about community in, in the world, in the culture, just in general. Biblical community is where you have that, that level of, of community and connectedness with other people, but specifically grounded in God's Word and, and experiencing the fellowship, what the Bible calls the fellowship of the gospel together. Yeah, and that's really, that's really a good distinction. And I love that you make the point that people are searching for community. And, and we see that in so many different ways, right? That uh, it seems like today the message is, you know, uh, even in the secular world is you're not alone. There are people out there that are like you. You hear this all the time. Find your tribe. That's right. right. Find people who are like you, who are like-minded. So there is this desire for community, absolutely. And as Christians, we should be searching for biblical community. Well, we talk a lot about in biblical community, there's some distinctives that make it biblical, right? Um, And those are specific context 
and content, right? So uh, I think we're going to tackle those two over the next two episodes. Is that right? Yeah, so I, I love this paradigm. I'm not really sure if I came up with it on my own or I stole it from somebody. I've stolen so much material over the years that I have no idea what belongs to me and what doesn't. But that said, yes, context and content, when you get both of those right, that's what really creates biblical community. Of course, there's going to be multiple levels of that. Because uh, when we talk about context and content, what we're talking about is groups. Right now, typically when we talk about groups in a church setting, we're talking about the small groups. But hey, even worship gatherings and for worship and teaching on Sunday mornings, that's a group context. Obviously, that's a very large group. But there, even in, in Sunday morning, when we gather for worship in the worship center, there's, there's a context, which is a, a large number of people, and a content, usually collective singing, uh, preaching, uh, lecture style, where one person, usually myself, is standing on the platform and teaching a large group of people who are who are more or less sitting there passively receiving what I'm saying. So that's one example of context and content. Uh, a life group is another context, and then there's a particular content for life group, D group, regen, any number of groups that meet on our campus. You're always going to have those two uh, qualities true about every group. There, there's a context and there's a content. So yeah, today we're going to talk about uh, context and kind of like w what the group looks like or, or what, what the gathering of people looks like in which you're going to experience biblical community. And then next time we meet, we're going to talk about the content, what actually takes place when this group gathers. Yeah, thank you so much for explaining that. Um, so let's jump right into the context for biblical community, because like you said, there's a variety of different contexts where you might experience community, right? So worship gatherings, like you said. Are there certain contexts that are more conducive for growth, or do we need a little bit of, of variety? What does that look like? What are some contexts well, I, I think just that that's a great generic question. The specific answer for, for Crossgate Church is that our primary context for community, biblical community at Crossgate, is a life group. That's kind of the basic building block. That's not to say that we don't have other uh, life transformational discipling contexts. Again, we mentioned D groups. We mentioned Regen. We mentioned you know different types of groups, Wednesday night discipleship groups that we have. Right, but the life group is the cornerstone of biblical community at Crossgate Church. Absolutely. And so, Phil, if the life group, like you say, is is the primary context for biblical community, what what makes life groups so special? Um, is it just because it's a, is it a class that's focused on, uh, you know, we've, we've done episodes about information and transformation. Are there certain aspects about life groups that make that the primary context or is it just one that we chose? So a life group is a great blend of a setting that's small enough where you can get to know people, right? I mean, if, if, if we were to step into our worship service on, on Sunday mornings at Crossgate and I was to say to a person sitting over on the far left, hey, do you know those people on the far right? They would probably say, I know their name, but I don't really know that much about them. Or they may very well say, I have no clue who those people are. Okay, so that's, that setting serves a purpose as we gather as, as, the, as the entire church uh, on Sunday mornings. But think about 1 Peter 1.22. It says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. I would argue you cannot love somebody deeply unless you have actually gotten to know them. And so first of all, 
one of the key contexts of a life group is you're looking at a group of anywhere between eight and maybe 12 to 15 people. Once a life group gets larger than that, and we have some that are significantly larger than that currently at Crossgate Church, but once a life group exceeds, say, 12 to 15 people, then you're going to hit some diminishing returns. It, it almost becomes more like a small church gathering where there, most of the time you have some lecture-based teaching and, and, and there's not as much connectivity across the board with the people. Obviously, a life group, that not all life groups look the same at Crossgate. We have some that meet on campus on Sunday mornings. We have some that meet off campus. Uh, throughout the week in some people's homes. Uh, most life groups are co-ed, but we have some that are that are single gender groups. Some are open, some are closed. Again, the, the, the attendance numbers fluctuates based on which group it is. But so we're looking at the fundamentals that do make a life group uh, special. And one of those key areas is it, it is it is big enough uh, where it's not simply a one-on-one -on -one discipling experience, which there's nothing wrong with that and that's very valuable. But on the other hand, it's not so large as to prohibit people from actually, and I almost hate to use the phrase, doing life together, because that's been overused almost, but that's really what we're doing is we are, we are getting to know people and, and getting to a point where we can love them deeply. Yeah, and that's a great point, and because it's important that we're intentional in creating those contexts in our lives, because you made reference to knowing the person, you know, across the room in a worship setting. Um, I would say, you know, in a church our size, um, it, unless you're intentional with fostering those relationships, it's very unlikely that it's going to happen on your on, on its own. You know, if you're just coming to worship and then you're leaving and then see you again next week, it's difficult to foster those relationships. And life groups are absolutely a great context. Yeah, absolutely. For, and one of the things I'd point out, Keith, is a quote that we often use here is that uh, we do life in circles, not in rows, right? Again, just rows, rows upon rows of people do not necessarily automatically lend themselves to building deeper relationships, but circles where you're actually able to look at people, speak with people, and it's, it's metaphorical because it's, it's more than just sitting physically in a circle in a classroom, uh, but, but certainly the, the circle better represents uh, what the life group is all about. Yeah, and you know, as you were sharing that, I was thinking about something that we go over in our Membership Matters class where we talk about sharing the 2% and having a context where you can do that. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, so this is a great quote from Watermark Church in Dallas, uh, just talking about creating contexts and having the right content to be able to start penetrating that 2% of life. And the, old, the whole idea behind the 2% is that most people are probably comfortable with talking about 98% of their lives, right? whether it's just what they do for a living or how many children they have or whatever. But now, you know, many people will be able to share some of their fears or other things. But there's always going to be the 2% of our lives that we're very reluctant to open up about and, and talk about with other people. That includes confession of sin. That includes sharing some of our deeper uh, emotional struggles uh, or any, you know, anxieties, whatever you want to say, but that, that 2%, it's, it's hard to penetrate that 2%, but the 2% of life, I would say that's probably where at least 70% of the spiritual transformation takes place. So how do we create these contexts where people are, are comfortable with at least beginning to get into those areas of their lives? I, I do believe that life groups serve a great function to get us in that direction Although even the way we do most life groups are probably going to be limited in their ability to really address the 2%. Case in point, 
the majority of our life groups are co-ed. And we all know that one of the best ways to get men to, to, to shut down and not share openly is to put them in a, in a room with men and women together. So I would say at the life group level, the life groups that have, that have, that have kind of cracked the code on how, to, on how to break up and have some time for the men over here and the women over here, they're probably better equipped to, to see their people penetrating the 2%. That's why D groups are so effective. Uh, that's why Regen is so effective. That's, that's why, honestly why Elevate is so popular, I think, because it puts men and then it puts women in these contexts where there's maximum transparency and uh, people are like, wow, that, that guy is just as messed up as I am. You know, so it, just, it gives us that, that commonality. And, and I appreciate you um, explaining that because we definitely don't want to paint the picture that we're asking people to walk into a life group and just start airing their dirty laundry the first time that they visit. Um, that That's not um, the experience there. But like you said, it is the beginning um, of a journey to a place where we do feel more comfortable being open and honest, um, not so that we can celebrate our shortcomings, but so that we can uh, be honest about them and, and give those to the Lord and have potential for growth. So we're going to talk a little bit more about authenticity, transparency, what that means to get into the 2% on the next episode. But I think that helps us to understand a little bit more of what we mean by a context for biblical community. So thank you so much for that, Phil. So let's get to this question. Why is biblical community so important for the Christian? Because I've heard people say, my faith is a personal matter between me and God. I don't really need any other people to be involved in that. Yeah, that's a great point, Keith. And, uh, and certainly you hear people say things like, you know, uh, I, I can worship God out of my fishing boat. You know, I don't even need to go to church. I can just worship God in the woods or, or wherever in some, in some isolated uh, circumstance. And yes, absolutely, you can worship God anywhere. Uh, but first of all, what I like to remind people is that there are so many collective pictures of, of the Christian life in the Bible. So, for example, the family of God, right? Uh, you know, 1 Timothy 3.15, we should know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So there's, it's, it's, there's a family aspect. The flock of God. Jesus is called the good shepherd. Uh, we're called his sheep. I mean, anybody who's ever seen a shepherd with his sheep knows that that is a collective picture. The body of Christ, another one, 1 Corinthians 12, we're all members of one body. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, we're described as a building. We're, we're all kind of blocks in this, in this building that's being built together. We're, we're also a temple. It, we're, we're all being joined together to be a temple for the Lord. And so it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever to someone, for someone to say, oh, I don't, I don't need that biblical community stuff. I mean, either, either they haven't read their Bibles or they're just being intellectually dishonest. Right? There's so many communal pictures. When I was a kid, you probably remember this, man. When I was a kid, you always went to Pizza Hut or wherever, and you always got this big pizza, and then everyone took a slice off the pizza. And then, I don't know, when I was about 10 years old or so, Pizza Hut introduced the personal pan pizza. Man, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Boy, you got your own little pizza, and you didn't have to share with anybody. It was just you and your little pizza. And, and being an introvert, I loved it that I didn't have to share pizza with anyone else. I had my own little pizza. But that's exactly where a lot of people see themselves as Christians as, oh, I just, I got my own pizza here. Thanks. I don't, I don't need you guys, right? But that's not the picture we see in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, man, we could go back to this over and over again, beginning in verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, or, or some translations say the assembling of ourselves, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ain't no way you can do that on a fishing boat without gathering with other Christians. Yeah. So it's huge. Boom, mic drop. <laughs> and that, that is a huge, huge point. It is so important, uh, biblical community, important in our lives as Christians, and an essential for growth. So, Phil, we've got just a couple of minutes left. Um, I'm curious, um, I know I have personal stories of how biblical community has impacted my life, and I'll share one in a minute, but just curious, do you have um, anything that's memorable or something you want to share about what biblical community has meant to you over the years? Yeah, well, I'll just say what God is doing right now. You know, we have a life group that meets in my home on Sunday nights, and I think we have, right now, we have nine or ten folks in, in the life group, and of course, children as well that come over, and uh, man, I love it. I mean, I, I look forward to our life group gatherings, one, because Every week, somebody brings a different dessert, so there is that. I, I typically don't even eat dinner on Sunday nights. I just eat dessert, and uh, so I love that part. But the best part about it, honestly, for what we do is we gather together, and we've got, I guess, four or five men, four or five women, and we gather in the living room together for 15 or 20 minutes and talk about what's going on, maybe some prayer needs, some administrative things coming up, and then we break apart. And the, and the majority of the time that we spend together is me with the men over in this side of the house, and my wife with the women on this side of the house, and we basically just do D-group stuff, right? Scripture memory, journals, hear journals, uh, prayer requests, accountability, those types of things. And I love kind of this hybrid model that we have going on, and I just I love the fact that I'm getting to know these men that much better. Uh, and truly, 1 Peter 1.22, I can say I love these men, uh, and, and I love them deeply from the heart. That's awesome. And it just warms my heart to hear um, hear that uh, because biblical community it has a great place in my heart. And I know, you know, I'm kind of in the similar boat. I have a life group right now that I'm in, and I love those people dearly. But, you know, I can I can look back over the years and see a noticeable difference in my own growth um, when we really got into biblical community and and learned firsthand what that was. And and so like you said, it was, you know, fostering these relationships where Yes, we'd come together as a group, but um, we would, you know, break up. And I, I had some men in my life that were in that group that I knew uh, at least once a week they were gonna, you know, we we're gonna ask each other, what specifically are you struggling with mm. this week? And was able to share that, not just for accountability, although that was there, but knowing that they they were seriously concerned uh, to hear what I had to say and would lift me up in prayer uh, right there in the room. And knowing that I wasn't alone in that walk to be able to share some of those struggles, like you said, that, that 2%, and, and seeing that they didn't walk out of the room. They stayed there, and they prayed with me, and they still loved me. Um, to be able to be fully known and fully loved yes. um, is a treasure. Um, and then to see that you know flesh itself out in practical ways. I remember when um, our... Our oldest child was very young. He woke up one morning and um, had a, a medical issue where we had to call an ambulance. And um, as young parents, did not know what to do. We didn't have family in the area at that time. And my first call was to our life group. And they beat the ambulance to the mm, hospital. Awesome. They dropped everything and said, what do you need? And they were just there to take care of it. And so my, my prayer, my hope for our people and those that are listening is that they have those drop everything people who will 
will say, hey, we're here for you, um, whatever the struggle is, um, and that we're going to walk this road together uh, because we really are truly made for community. Amen. Well, hey, we are out of time for today, but I'm excited to continue the conversation as we jump into the content of Biblical Community on the next episode. We'll see you next time, Phil. Thanks, Keith. God bless. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.